This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello, and welcome to another episode of East Lansing Insider, brought to you by East Lansing Info in partnership with Impact Radio. My name is Emily Joan Elliott. I'm the acting executive director and publisher of Eli. And today I have with me Al Hargrave Jackson, our lead schools reporter, and she also reports on environmental and sustainability issues. So how are you today, Al? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Thank you for coming on. Um, Both Al and I have covered East Lansing Public Schools. I started covering in March 2020. And Al came on board in fall 2021 with that beat. And today we're going to take a look back at what has been happening with both COVID and diversity, equity, and inclusion in East Lansing Public Schools, something that Al has written on both of those topics recently. So just by some brief way of background, as we all know by now, COVID came in March 2020, which coincidentally is when I started covering school board. As the district decided what to do with handling the COVID-19 pandemic, diversity, equity, and inclusion was a major concern. What wound up happening was the school initially was afraid if it closed, it would be a diversity, equity, and inclusion issue. Some students who might not have had um, internet connectivity might not have been able to come into remote learning. East Lansing Public Schools eventually paused education, and there was, I believe, some reading and packets sent home, but there wasn't an official plan until late spring 2020. The 2020-2021 school year began remote and then transitioned to allow some students to come in person in March 2021. But those issues of how to equitably engage students during the pandemic came up almost monthly at school board meetings as they voted to recertify plans. Um, There was still an understanding that perhaps in-person learning would be better, but maybe some families and students would be more vulnerable if they contracted COVID-19. Also in 2020, there was the murder of George Floyd and the efforts to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, particularly at East Lansing Public Schools, they outlined a list of steps. One of the first actions taken was suspending the resource officer in the school and severing ties with the police unless there was an emergency. And other steps were outlined. And Eli did a check-in on where the district stood for meeting those plans, which we'll discuss in a bit, around April 2021, after a controversial slavery assignment came to light at a school board meeting, and we investigated that and wrote several follow-up stories. So this year, Al, being she's our lead schools reporter now, did a second check-in. And the first one I did was with Superintendent Dory Lyko and Assistant Superintendent Glenn Mitchum, who's also in charge of curriculum. But this time, Al did her check-in with Claudia Burden, who's the Director for Equity and Social Justice. So Al, we'll jump into what you learned. Um, In 2020, Eli had looked at the diversity of the student body and found that 45% of students were non-white, but the faculty was over 90% white. 
when we filed the Freedom of Information Act request this year, what did you find out about the demographics? Yeah, so um, we found that the student uh, demographics have not changed too much, but when we look at the staff, um, we can look at it broken up into teachers and administration and then the overall staff of East Lansing Public Schools. And so when you look at the overall staff of East Lansing Public Schools, you do see a little bit more diversity. Um, It's still, uh, you know, not where Claudia and the rest of the team say that they want to be because it's right now currently at about 93% um, white for all of the teachers and administrators. Um, And so, you know, not a whole lot of room for a lot of diversity there. But then when you look at everyone else, um, we have 11% um, diverse staff when we look at all of the East Lansing Public School employees. Right. And this is another interesting way, I thought, from your reporting that DEI concerns and COVID overlapped because there were more staff hires um, during the pandemic, hall monitors, I believe additional student advocates because there was additional funding for schools and to address behavioral issues and adjustment as students came back. So it seems like the district was maybe to, able to achieve more diversity in hiring there. Correct. Um, Yeah, they definitely um, have been taking a more uh, diverse look when they are trying to hire. Um, They're, you know, say that their practices are, their hiring practices are intentional. But again, Claudia herself said it's not where they want to be. And they, you know, they want to see it eventually closer to what the student demographic looks like. Sure. And did Claudia Burden elucidate at all some of the roadblocks the district faces in hiring a more diverse faculty? It sounds like one of the biggest ones uh, that I understood it to be was COVID challenges. Since Mm -hmm. COVID began, it's just an industry that a whole lot of people aren't getting into education. So um, they're, they're working on ways to figure out how to be you know, get more incentives for people who are considering joining ed- the education industry. Um, and in fact, they this week, the school board just approved a new contract uh, agreement with the East Lansing Education Association. And so I, I believe with some of those changes, they might be able to, um, you know, increase their hiring pool. Mm-hmm. So we're going to discuss the contract in a bit, but just for this por- portion of the conversation, it sounds like the co- contract's a bit more competitive and has increased pay. Is that correct? Yes, increased pay. Um, they have other things like um, a few additional Fridays throughout the school year that will they'll do professional learning for teachers, which I think is really important to a lot of their diversity initiatives. Right. I think it was in 2020, I spoke to Tara Chambers who is on the school board, I believe at that point, she might have been vice president. And her day job, she works at the College of Education at Michigan State University. And she had said that, you know, historically in the black community, being a teacher is an honored profession. But when Brown versus the Board of Education came and schools were integrated and combined, it was a lot of the Black faculty that was let go. So I found Mm. it really interesting to find the historical roots of the problem 
And I think in 2020, there was discussions about the district posting job calls for teachers on job boards at historically Black colleges and universities. So your report that you did in the beginning of this month really covered a lot of ground. So what other DEI efforts is the district taking to make students, all students, feel more at home in the district? Yeah, um, it was a a great conversation that I had with Claudia, and there sounds like, you know, she's doing so many things um, throughout the district. So I can just go over a few of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is the social justice teams that um, I think that was in place before, but she's really solidifying the process and system. Um, so each building at East Lansing Public Schools uh, has social justice teams, and then to bring in that East Lansing Education Association agreement, um, I believe that in the new agreement, those leaders of those social justice teams will now get stipends. Um, so they're, you know, making sure that people are compensated for the time that they're mm-hmm. putting into all of this. Again, that professional learning—they've really audited those, audited those practices, and figured out uh, how they can better serve teachers to um, continue in their learning. And another thing that I mentioned previously that was in the agreement. Overall, uh, they audited a lot of practices and policies. Whenever she started her position in August of, I believe, twenty. 21. So it's just this year. She just jumped in auditing all of the practices and policies. Uh, One of those specifically was around images, around celebrations. So she looked at images in classrooms, books, lessons, curriculum, videos, even posters in the hallway and was like, how do students feel about this? And do they still feel celebrated? Does everyone feel celebrated? Are the celebrations inclusive? Um, Which I believe led to a controversy at some point um, whenever they made some decisions about Valentine's Day and Halloween previously this year. One initiative she worked hard on and has been doing is a diverse book initiative, which the board just received a check from the East Lansing Education Foundation this last Monday for that initiative. So they're going to start putting a lot of diverse books inside of classrooms, um, not necessarily just in libraries. They want them in classrooms as well. They've adopted a lot of new policies. Uh, I think we've reported on those throughout the semesters, quite a, quite a few of those. They work with uh, resolution services of Central Michigan, and they put in a full-time person at the middle school to help with restorative practices. Uh, So that was something Mm -hmm. that they really wanted to do at the end of 2020. She's also formed a relationship with the Minority Student Achievement Network, which is uh, a leadership conference where she has, you know, met all kinds of similar schools with similar different demographics, sharing similar situations and issues. And so she's learned a lot about emotional learning, um, student wellness for the staff as well through that relationship. Yeah. I mean, I I could go on. There's there's quite a list. (laughs) I want to circle back and ask you maybe about some of them. I've been taking notes, although I'm familiar (laughs) with your reporting because I'm usually kind of the editor for them, being I have the background (laughs) in schools as well. So the holiday, the auditing, what I think you pointed out rightly that there was the controversy over 
stopping in school celebrations of Valentine's Day and Halloween because it led to students feeling excluded if, you know, they weren't wearing costumes or it might be for some cultures inappropriate to have children exchanging Valentines. And I, the school board admitted their communication could have been better about it. But it sounds to me like there's a lot of other audits going on. So people who are only paying attention to the greatest hits might just see that. But there's these other audits going on as well, as you mentioned, with books, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Books. Um, I mean, that. so that goes into that diverse book initiative as well. You know, they wanted to get more things into the classroom. I think the diverse book initiative is very much, I think, elementary school. Mm-hmm focused. Um, but she has audited images, I believe, in many buildings. The intention there is just to also figure out what celebrations do these do we celebrate and like who who isn't getting celebrated. You know, um right. you know, we celebrate Halloween and Valentine's Day, but are there other celebrations that would make other groups of people feel included? And so that was included in all of those auditing practices as well. Right. And I believe the auditing practice comes from, it's the social, the justice leaders collaborative from Ann Arbor. I believe the district has done professional development with administrators and teachers with them. And uh, the justice leaders collaborative provides various resources. And my understanding is they use those resources Um, for the audits. Another thing that I found really interesting was that there was someone hired at the middle school to help with restorative justice, um, because this had been a big part of the 2020 outline of things the district would like to do beyond removing a police presence. It was if students have conflict or a student isn't following maybe their the proper code of conduct, What's the most effective way to address that situation? And there was an incident in, I believe it was October 2021, where there was a fight in the gym and two students were suspended. And Eli had reported on this. And there was a debate that ensued about restorative justice versus a more severe punishment that's exclusionary, like pushing students out of school, Mm -hmm. where um, restorative justice could be more inclusionary, but the person who's wronged also has to be part of the process. And I know we had Superintendent Dory Laco on the podcast around that time, and she had said that the pandemic, for whatever reason, did seem to cause more behavioral issues. Um, and one thing that stuck with me that she pointed out is masking, particularly at that point, was very important. But if it obscures faces and, you know, people are trying to read emotion, it becomes all that much harder. I was wondering if Claudia Burden had anything to say about how restorative justice is going in the district. Yeah, we really didn't get into the details Mm -hmm. of it. Um, I can tell you that they, with the Resolution Services of Central Michigan, um, have put someone from that organization in the middle school and that person has been there five days a week and they're basically using this as like a pilot to see how it goes um and so i believe at the end of this semester 
they'll evaluate that and potentially we will see one of those um, positions open for the high school as well. Right. Um, so I think that they are f- going to figure out how it goes towards, you know, during the summer. Right. Um, so she really didn't speak to it much more than that. Right. Yeah, I know there's other positions in the district too, like hall monitors and student advocates who, my understanding from your article, have played an important role in building relationships with students so they have trusted adults to turn to when there is a conflict yeah yeah and they um are familiar faces that are just around often and so I think that she said that has been a very successful program for them yeah I had heard that from faculty members as well who were concerned about student conduct felt they almost immediately saw a positive impact from Mm -hmm. having more adults just in the building and engaging students and them not be uh, police officers. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think we were both at the same school board meeting that followed um, the Oxford mass shooting. And one of the student representatives to the board, I thought, gave a very eloquent and impassioned statement about not bringing officers back in the school. Yeah, she did. I thought, yeah, she was very well-spoken. Um, The last thing I'm going to circle back to is the social justice teams. Um, If memory serves me right, when I came on board in 2020, only Marble Elementary, it was called the Marble Equity Team, and they had done work. And then when this letter came forward after the murder of George Floyd, it became something that wanted to be done in all schools. And my understanding is what the teams do might have shifted from that original iteration. So are there any specific issues or tasks that the social justice teams have undertaken yet? I think as they're just getting their first feet into this uh, entire program, they um, took a training with the Justice Leaders Collaborative. Mm -hmm. So um, did that and then Claudia checks in with them about every month. But from my understanding, talking with Claudia, they're kind of doing what she's doing on a, you know, smaller scale, uh, auditing things, figuring, you know, just talking, seeing what they notice um, and what can be improved. Um, but again, we we didn't get into she's doing so much that we really didn't get into the nitty gritty of everything, um, but just everything that she has dipped her toe in it sounds like she might really need these teams to delegate some work yeah. too. <laughs> so we talked about the books as well and as you mentioned at school board there was the fifteen thousand dollar grant from the east lansing education foundation which is a local nonprofit that supports educational initiatives in the areas um they might don't know who they support beyond East Lansing Public Schools, but that's, I would say, no small amount of money. Like, I think that mm-hmm. is significant. But at School Board 2, you pointed out in your recent report that went out yesterday that it was the first meeting in two years without a COVID update. So was there any comments on that notable absence from the agenda? Not really. I think that uh, Superintendent Dory Laco just kind of threw it out there um, when she was talking about something else. She just said it was worth mentioning. There was no applause or anything like that, but I think everyone in the room was feeling excited 
about it for sure. Yeah, the updates have changed since I've been um, involved in reporting. It used to be updates on what the state said regarding laws for doing virtual or remote or hybrid and plans for vaccinating teachers. And then when students were more in person, it became updates on the numbers. And in fall 2021, there was an outbreak at Glencarran Elementary. And then I think you'll remember, well, January 2022, the big story was the high rates of absenteeism Mm -hmm. Um, due to COVID. This was the Omicron surge was hitting hard in Michigan. Students had just been on their winter break. A lot of the uh, the district did send home at home tests and some students, I think it was over 30, but less than 50 at the high school tested positive and didn't go. But then there was also these rolling rumors and fears that people were positive in the building. So people weren't going to school because they were afraid and attendance district wide actually fell below 75%, which is an issue for state funding. So it is kind of crazy just in four months, how much the situation has changed. Yeah, that's true. That is crazy. I didn't actually put that together. But yeah, it's only been four months since they were going through all of that. Right. And this decision happens when East Lansing Info was on its publication pause. But at the previous, I believe it was April 11th meeting, in a split vote, the trustees did vote to stop the mask mandate. Um, Students are still allowed to wear masks. I know it was a four to three vote and a lot of discussion ensued. And Often when you hear the roll call vote, people automatically like know what they're going to say. This was one of the few times I heard people really hesitate. Hmm. And I felt like consider in that moment and really have to make the final decision before the camera, so to hmm. speak. Um, but there were other things that came out of the school board meeting. So one of them is a curriculum update. And I was wondering if you could tell us about that. The sex ed video? Is yes. That what you're, yes. So um, they approved a new sexual education video, which is um, HIV and AIDS prevention video uh, and instruction lesson for fifth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. Sorry, I don't have it right in front of me. I believe that's it. And so that got approved. And I don't believe that teachers have to take any kind of training with it. They're, it's optional. And they will be able to start using this new video this semester because I believe that they only show it once and it's going to, that occurrence happens in May. Right. Yeah. So it, it's up to date with all state and um, national standards for sexual education. Uh, they really didn't discuss it much. Besides yeah, that. I do know that the district has a sex education advisory board that delves into these things and I think has more in-depth conversations before it gets referred to the board. Mm. An exciting thing that came out was also about a new opportunity for high school students. Oh, the Germany trip. Yes. yes. Um, they had Mr. Orange there and he was very excited to talk about that. Everyone was really excited. I think also just it, it felt like a win post-COVID. So um, students can, I believe, start signing up for that 
soon, um, and that will be in the summer of 2023. And the board made it very clear that if there are any students who are considering applying for the program and going, um, they should reach out regardless of their financial situation because they can figure out how to get kids there, you know, so it shouldn't be a, a financial question whether or not somebody applies. Great. And I think the last big hit from the meeting was um, the teacher's contract, which we've discussed that there's more incentives and increased compensation. Is there anything else of note we need to add in? There's longer recess time and substitutes get an increased pay. I mentioned that stipend for social justice teams. Um, I believe there's several other stipends in there. Additional positions and stipends for those teachers who choose to help with like, robotics and science. Right. Um, so there, uh, there was a class size reduction for fifth graders. So I think um, it, it was it was a lot of good stuff. Everyone sounded very excited about all of it. And it's a three-year agreement, so it goes into effect this summer and I believe ends in 2025. Yes, that's what I recall. So in our final three minutes here, we're going to let our listeners know by the time they listen, the events will already have happened. But this Friday, I understand the middle school and high school orchestra is performing with a unique person is coming and they'll be playing very unique music. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, this was a really fun piece to write about and talk with several people about. So Mark Wood is coming and he is uh, part of the original member of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. He's the inventor of the seven string electric Viper violin. He, I talked to him on the phone. He was really excited and an impressive guy and uh, really just so passionate about this invaluable experience that he sees students have whenever he visits. So he travels the country and the world sometimes and does concerts with high school, middle school students. So he sent them, um, you know, this whole semester, they've been practicing music that he wrote. It's rock music that he wrote for an orchestra. So they're learning that. And then he'll, I guess he shows up today um, and he does uh, several clinics with them and their different songs and sessions. Um, they also have a little bit of choreography, so he'll help teach them that. And then they'll perform tomorrow evening at the high school, Friday. And um, I believe that Mark Wood will even be doing a couple solos. And so it's just supposed to be a very non-traditional orchestra concert. And I talked to several students and they said that it has been really fun to practice. It's been um, hard. They said the music, learning the music has not been easy, but it's just a really great experience and they've, they've enjoyed it a lot. And so it sounds fun. I, um, am considering going, <laughs> it sounds really, really interesting. Yeah. When I read that, like, you know, I know Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which Mark Wood was a founding member of Christmas time, you hear their melodies and I'm mm -hmm. not a musician, but I imagine moving from playing more traditional pieces to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra type that we know is a challenge, but a fun one. And we are out of time. So I just wanted to thank you once more for coming on, Ali. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. No problem. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. 
We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.